Well, welcome back to 40 Days in Prayers. We are about a third of the way into this journey now, and I hope that you have been engaging fully in that and in the personal time of interacting with God's Word and praying out of that, of of being connected to a group and the teaching and the unpacking of that, and then certainly here in the worship setting. And let me just encourage you, if you're not yet kind of fully engaged, there's still time to do that. We have a few more copies of the, the workbook you can still pick up in the information area out there uh, that if you've kind of fallen behind or got off track, just re-engage, re-engage with that because I still think God has some some powerful things to, uh, to teach us uh, as we ask him to teach us how to pray. You know, it's probably very appropriate that here as we, this week, we kind of mark the home going of Billy Graham and, and the incredible influence that and God used in his life. And it's probably appropriate that we're focusing on prayer. Uh, because Billy Graham would tell you that uh, that he looks back and much of what God did through the Crusades, he he would trace back uh, to prayer. Uh, and he was once asked, uh, you know, as you reflect back, what do you wish you had done, you know, differently? And his response was, I wish I had prayed a whole lot more. Wish I had prayed a whole lot more than I did. And so we're just asking God uh, to teach us. Uh, how to pray. You have a note-taking guide with you, also a Bible. I want to encourage you to find Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, a parable we're going to, to look at as we, we, we think of this uh, uh, whole area, and particularly today, I want to focus in for just a few moments uh, around the question of persistence in prayer. And to kind of set the table for that, let me share with you a, a old story. Maybe you've heard, uh, heard it in various forms along the way, but it, it starts with a bird, a bird who was flying south for the winter, but a bird who had procrastinated a little bit along the way and, and didn't really start off early enough and trying to make its way south and got caught up in a winter storm. And the winter storm blew and kind of ice formed on the wings. And the bird struggled as much as he could for a while, finally kind of crash landed in a field. Thought, this is it. It's all over, right? This cow comes walking up to him and sees the bird there, turns around and just drops a big old pile of manure right there on top of the bird, right? The bird says, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This has just gone from, from bad to, to worse, right? I mean, this is, this is horrible. But then as he sits there in that pile of manure for just a moment, he begins to realize, you know what? This is pretty warm. <laughs> and his little wings begin to fall out a little bit. He begins to think, well, maybe this isn't so bad after all. Fact is, he, he begins to feel so good, he starts to, starts to chirp a little bit, starts to sing, which gets the attention of a nearby cat. And the cat comes over to the pile of manure that's chirping and digs around in there and eats the bird, right? Now, what's the moral of this story? Three lessons. First lesson is, not everybody that dumps on you is your enemy, Right? Secondly, not everybody that digs you out is your friend. And third lesson is sometimes when you're in a pile of yuck, just keep your big mouth shut, right? <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you've heard that story in all of its various forms. Maybe you've told yourself a similar story. Because for many of us, one of our greatest struggles in prayer is around unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. We prayed, and 
nothing seems to have changed. Nothing seems to have happened. In fact, is we, we prayed and it actually got worse. We feel like somebody just dumped a big pile of you know what on us. We prayed for healing and no healing came. We prayed for that relationship and it didn't get better, it got worse. We prayed and sought for a job and, and our finances are just falling apart and, and no job has appeared on the horizon. And you prayed, and, and you begin to feel like it doesn't help, it doesn't make a difference, it's not any use. When you just find yourself in the middle of it, don't get your hopes up because somebody will come and dig you out and eat you up, and just, just keep your big mouth shut, right? And maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you just got to the point of just wondering, does prayer even help at all? Jesus told a different story. Didn't involve a cow or a bird or a cat. It involved a widow and a judge. A judge who was marked by a sure lack of righteousness and justice and fairness. And yet the widow responded in an interesting way. Luke 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable. To the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on earth? Now, it's a simple story, but it's one that is sometimes misunderstood. We want to just take a few moments to understand it and then spend the bulk of our time seeking to apply it. The understanding key is in the first verse. He tells us what the purpose of this parable is. Jesus often taught in stories, in parables. And very much up front, Luke puts it out there. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart, not get discouraged, not give up, but that they would continue to pray. They would continue to cry out to God. And then he begins to unpack this story. Now, what many folks get a little crossed when they begin to read this is they begin to say, well, this is a parable that's comparing. It's comparing God to this unjust judge, but it's actually not a a parable of comparison. It's a parable of contrast. He is contrasting this unjust judge and God, but also contrasting some other things along the way. Let me just highlight a few. He is contrasting the powerless widow with the unjust judge. The powerless widow, she, she would have had nothing going for her in that culture. 
She would not have had opportunity. She would not have had connections. She would not have had resources. Uh, and don't think courtroom like we have today and you hire a lawyer and all, the, all these things. It would have been more of a tent. And in that tent, uh, there would be people that would be all around. They would be gathered all around. This, this tent may go from place to place sometimes. There would be people all around who would be watching the proceedings. And while you could get in the crowd around, you couldn't always get in before the judge. In fact is, uh, women didn't have a whole lot of rights in that culture, so you oftentimes needed a man, first of all, just to get in there. But not only that, but very often there were those who were kind of the gatekeepers to the judge, right? And in order to get to the judge, you might have had to slip somebody some money. And if you don't have resources and you don't have connections, you don't get in front of an unjust judge. So what did she do? She persisted. She persisted. And that's the second contrast. It's a contrast between persevering prayer and giving up. Persevering prayer and giving up. Well, we may have understood somebody in that situation saying, I, 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 don't, I can't get in. I don't stand a chance. The system's fixed. It's rigged. Nobody like me ever gets justice. Even if I got before this guy, he's ruthless. He's unjust. It's not going to make any difference. But that's not how she responded. She responded with persistence. She responded coming day after day after day after day. She was relentless. She was persistent. And, and this is not the only parable that Jesus told about this, to lift up this value of persevering prayer and not giving up. But the biggest contrast is between an unjust judge with our just and loving God. It got, Jesus was not trying to make this a, a comparison where they're, they're the same, but a contrast. Think about it. You have an opportunity to come not before an unjust judge. You don't have to come with a bribe. You don't have to come hoping that somehow you can angle it in such a way to get this audience. But you get to come before a loving Heavenly Father. You get to come before one who is perfect in wisdom, perfect in love, perfect in justice. That, that's why we spent time last week talking about who are you talking to? Because who you think you're talking to shapes your prayers. And here he reminds us, you don't come before an unjust judge. You come before this just and loving God. And you don't come just as some anonymous person. The last contrast, they have this powerless widow with no connections, no real way of getting in. The contrast is with God's chosen ones. He says there, how much more will he give justice to his elect, to his chosen ones? That we are these children of God. That we have access. It's access made possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to offer a bribe. We, we, our access has already been paid for because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. In light of all of that, why wouldn't we be at least as persistent as this widow? And then he ends with a question. <laughs> Where? Where and when? When he comes, when 
The Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find men and women in the face of a loving, just God who are that persistent in prayer? If this widow could be persistent in the face of an unjust judge, how much more should we be persistent at the invitation of a just and loving God? The call is to persistence in prayer. And yet sometimes we wonder, okay, but it still doesn't seem to be working. My expectations are unmet. It seems not to be getting better, but getting worse. And that's where I want to kind of drill down. We introduced some of these themes in the first message, but I want to go just a little bit deeper, particularly on a couple of them this morning. What does it mean to kind of apply this parable? Well, what it reminds us of is a truth we've been trying to highlight already. Just because God hasn't said yes yet doesn't mean that God has not answered our prayers. Just because we don't get what we want when we want it doesn't mean that God hasn't heard. Doesn't mean that he's not just. Doesn't mean that he's not loving. Doesn't even mean that he hasn't answered our prayers. It may be that it's just not the answer that we wanted when we wanted it along the way. So let's think in terms of four ways that God can answer prayer. We've touched on these, but we're going to drill down a little bit deeper. The first one is, if the request is wrong, If the request is wrong, God says no. If if what I am asking is just wrong, it it doesn't bring glory to God, it is not God's best for me, then God is going to say no. And there's tons and tons of biblical examples of this. Think about this. Just highlighted three. I mean, can you get any bigger names than these three, right? Moses, Paul, and Jesus. Moses didn't get to go into the promised land. Paul cried out, remove this thorn from my flesh. The answer was no. My grace is sufficient for you. Jesus agonizing in the garden of Gethsemane, if it is possible, let this cup pass before me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, God is too loving and too wise to say yes to an inappropriate request. He is too loving and too wise. And we, we, we talked about that when we, we just looked at him last week as this good, good father. And, and sometimes somebody thinks about persistence in prayer and they, they, they think about it like wearing God down. It's like, like a little kid. Like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can I get a cookie? Can I get a cookie? Can I get another one? Can I get another one? Can I get another one? Get another one? And finally the parent, even though they know the answer is should be no, they are just worn out by this kid. <laughs> So it's like, eat a cookie and shut up, right? Your just and loving Heavenly Father is not going to get worn down by you. He is not going to say yes to an inappropriate request. He's too loving and too wise. That's why we've been lifting up uh, this, this scripture from Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've said it so many times. It's just been one of those I need to come back to. If I knew what God knew, I'd want what God wants. If I knew what God knew, I would say no to some things that God says no to. His thoughts are greater than mine. And we've already spent time there, so I'm not going to hang out here long this morning. But we just begin by understanding, as we pray, God sometimes in love and wisdom says no. If the request is wrong, no amount of badgering is going to turn God's no into yes. Because he's too wise and too loving for that to happen. But sometimes it's not so much the request is wrong as the timing is wrong. And if the timing is wrong, God often says, says slow. He says slow. It's it's not yet the right time. Biblical example, John chapter 11, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these people who Jesus so dearly loved. He spent time in their home. Lazarus is sick, sick to the point of death. They send word, Jesus come, because they know Jesus is the healer. And if Jesus shows up, Lazarus gets better. There's this interesting line stuck there in John 11. After he heard that news, Jesus waited two days. He didn't move. He didn't move. For two solid days, and Lazarus died in that window. Don't you care? Thought you loved this guy. He did. He did care. He did love him. But he had something to show them. Something to reveal to them about who he was and who God was. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you know he shows up. And he shows up not, not, not to heal a sick Lazarus, but to resuscitate res, a dead Lazarus. To bring him out of this tomb. To just remind them he's the one who has the power over even death itself. Please understand, God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. And many of you have heard that. You've taught it perhaps. But it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it, isn't it? Because very often when we pray, we want what we want when we want it. And it's usually right now. We get frustrated when the microwave takes 60 seconds. We get ticked off when that video doesn't start in 10 seconds, right? We want what we want when we want it. But God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. See, just like Jesus had a purpose for delaying coming to Lazarus, God may have a purpose in his delay. See, in the midst of a delay... God may draw us closer to himself. God may draw us closer to himself. You know, one of the things that often happens when we we go through a tough time, if we'll persevere in prayer, if we'll hang in there, if we'll continue to draw near to God, we'll find that 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 problem, that crisis, that thing that that seems to be uh, something that should crush us actually 
pushes us, and it pushes us into God. And I'm going to tell you, my own experience has been sometimes some of the greatest, the deepest, the richest times with God, some of the times I have drawn closest to God, felt closer to God, felt more empowered by God, loved by God, that I've known God more, have been in the midst of a crisis. And what I've said is so often is, is that sometimes you have this, and it's surrounded by all this. I wish I could get this without all this sometimes. But God very often uses those delays. Those delays. Those times when it seems like I cried out and it did get better, it got worse. To draw us closer to himself. Because prayer is not just where we treat God like a vending machine. It's not us just saying to God like Alexa, you know, give us an answer, right? But it's about that relationship. And God will delay that answer very often to draw us closer to himself. Sometimes he delays because it allows us to modify our request. There's, it's not wrong, but it's not all that it can be or should be. And so we tweak it, re-refine it. Sometimes when we persist in prayer, what God shows us is your request is on the right track. It's just not big enough. I've got something better in mind. He had something bigger in mind when he, when he responded with a delay to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And very often God doesn't give us what we want when we want it because he has something bigger in mind. You're on the right track. I just, I just want to expand you. I want to expand your thinking. I want to expand your understanding of who I am. I want to expand what I want to do in and through your life. And persisting in prayer allows us to modify our request but if we give up we give up too soon we don't draw closer to God we allow that pressure to get a, be a wedge between us and God we, we don't have that time to modify the request so that it's more in alignment with perfectly with what God wants to do we give up and we miss out and in the midst of a delay God may develop character qualities within us he can use that delay as a time to develop some things in our life so that we will be able to carry, we will be able to handle the answer that he wants to give us, the thing that he wants to unfold in our life. And that leads to the third observation and application. If I'm wrong, God says grow. God says grow. It, it Maybe the request isn't wrong. And even, really, the timing is not wrong, but I'm not right. That There's something not quite right in me. There's something that still needs to grow in me. There's a character quality that still needs to develop in me. And so God, who loves me enough to, to say, not yet, because you're not ready for it, says, grow grow along the way. And, and again, we, we can have kind of, kind of lots of thoughts around this, but, but let, me, let me for the sake of, of this morning, because this is where I want to park for just a few moments, because I think this is one of the things that God does best through persevering prayer, and that he grows us. And sometimes we miss, we miss the growth that God wants to give us because we give up, because we didn't get what we wanted when we wanted it. And so I just want to offer you some, maybe some questions, some thoughts that can hopefully serve as a checklist for growth. So maybe you're in the midst of prayer and it seems the situation's not getting better, it's getting worse. 
Uh, maybe you've cried out and it seems like the only thing is that, that people are dumping on you or there to, to eat you. But, but you come and you say, God, wh- what are you showing me in this? What are you wanting to grow in me in this? And so maybe just to begin with, just say, how consistent is my praying? How consistent is my praying? We're going to look a lot in James today. You do not have, James said, because you do not ask. When we talk about persistence in prayer, one of the things that this says to me is, how badly do I want this? A wise parent understands, just because a child asks for something one time, you don't give it to them, right? In fact, it's very often it's kind of like, let's, let's see how much they want this. Let's see if this is really a desire, right? Or you'd be, you'd be jumping from music lessons to gym lessons to all, I mean, you'd be all over the map, right? No, no. Is there, is there a consistency here? Is there a consistency? When Jesus taught in, on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, ask and seek and knock. And the words that are there are instructive. It's not ask, seek, and knock in the past tense, but it's the present ongoing tense. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And there is that sense of, is this important enough to me? Am I consistently coming before the Father? Am I consistently bringing this to him? It's one of the ways of going, is this really something that I value? Is it really something important to me? Is it a heart passion for me? Secondly, what is my motive? What is my motive in this ask? James continues his teaching in the very next verse. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What's my motive in this? Is, is it really as I, I persist in prayer? Is this really kind of a selfish thing? Is it really about greed? Is it really about pride? Is it really about me being noticed? Or, or is it about God's honor, God's glory, God's kingdom, God's advance, what God could do through me in the lives of other people? And so I really have to begin to, to wrestle with that. And that's not always easy. But that's one of the things that happens in persevering prayer. Uh, God begins to kind of refine those motives along the way. He helps us begin to unpack, why am I really doing this? What is my motive in this? Thirdly, am I trying to make prayer a substitute? Am I trying to make it a substitute for thinking or working? Uh, we, we sometimes use prayer as an excuse, an excuse not to do some of the other things that God has called us and enabled us to do. I, I've always loved the book of Nehemiah, a wonderful Old Testament story of the burden that God placed on him, how he responded in prayer and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, how he sacrificed himself to make that happen. And there came that, that one moment there in, in Jerusalem, they're rebuilding the walls, there's enemies all around, and they're threatening, we're going to break in at night, we're going to come, we're going to kill you, we're going to destroy you, we're going to tear this down, it's finished, you're done. And Nehemiah's response is this wonderful blend. He said, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. He was, if you read Nehemiah, he was a passionate man of prayer. 
But prayer was not a substitute for thinking or working. If you have people who are threatening to come in and kill you, pray. Absolutely pray, but post a guard for goodness sakes, right? Post a guard. I, I am one of those that, 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 that I just sometimes get frustrated because sometimes people want to use prayer as an excuse not to do what God has called them to do. God works through prayers. God works through our work. God works through our thinking. God ordains not only the ends but the means. And so we have to learn to combine prayer and work without confusing them. Combine prayer and work without confusing them. I I am convinced, the core of my being, that they they can pass all the laws they want to about, about prayer in school. But I am convinced that as long as they keep giving tests, there's going to keep being praying in school, aren't you? I'm convinced. Because some of us have been there, right? Pop quiz. Oh, God, help. <laughs> right? I didn't read that. I didn't study it. I didn't think they would ask one today, right? Nothing wrong with praying before you take the test. But make sure you've studied, right? Pray and study. Oh, God, fix this relationship. It's such a mess. Absolutely pray. But then invest in the relationship. Carve out some time. Pick up some skills. Get some outside help. Pray, but work. On and on the list could go. God, provide for my needs. Absolutely. Pray. If you're looking for a job, do the work, right? Do the work. Get the resume, make the contact, show up at the interview, dress decently, you know, all those things, right? You get the idea. We must combine prayer and work without confusing them. Am I trying to use prayer as a substitute instead of understanding there are things that only God can do? And I call out to him. But there are things that God has called me, gifted me, empowered me to do And those are the things I have to do in his strength. Next question. Is there any sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? Is there any sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? Because sin is a a deal breaker when it comes to prayer through the prophet Isaiah. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. When I harbor prayer, when I harbor sin, it interferes with my prayers. And by the way, this is one of the reasons some of us don't persevere in prayer. Because if you persevere in prayer, God will surface sin. 
As you you combine the word and prayer, as you continue to show up in his presence, as you continue to cry out to him, as you continue to to put yourself in that posture of listening to him, God is going to surface those things in your life that he wants to deal with. He's going to surface pride. He's going to surface selfishness. He's going to surface bitterness. He's going to surface a lack of forgiveness. He's going to surface these things over time. And some of us don't want to deal with those things, and so we won't persist in prayer. We'll say, give me a quick devotional thought so I can feel warm and fuzzy and get on with my day. But as I persevere in prayer, listen, God loves you so much that he's not going to say yes and let you keep that junk in your life. He's going he's to surface that junk so that you can deal with it. And the only way we can deal with it through the perfect provision of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so it is always fair to ask, God, is there any sin in my life that needs to be dealt with? God, surface this stuff so I can deal with it. Another question has to do with the relationships. How are my relationships with others? What the New Testament tells us is there's a vital connection between our relationships with others and our relationship with God. That our relationship with God should show up in our relationships with others. Peter talks about it this way when he talks about a husband-wife relationship. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel. It doesn't mean inferior. He's just talking about a physical difference that, by and large, men typically tend to be stronger physically than women. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, that last phrase, so that, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, to live with your wife in a way that does not show honor. To live with your wife in a non-understanding way creates short circuitry in your prayers. Doesn't mean it's perfect. I get it. It takes two to make any relationship work. But as God works in me, God, is there there anything I need to do? From a husband's perspective, God, as, as I persevere in prayer, Lord, show me anything in my relationships. Show me any lack of honor. Show me any way that I've I've been operating out of a non-understanding posture. Just show me. I don't want my prayers to be hindered before you. It's vital connection between relationships and prayer. One other question you could ask many, many more, but you'll get the idea. As God uses persevering prayer to grow me, am I praying in faith? Am I praying in faith? Again, James is teaching there. He talks about asking God for wisdom. But he says, then let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his 
ways. Well, what is James telling us here? He's saying that as you come, you come with this confidence. It's not faith in faith. It's not even faith in your prayer is well-worded and well-shaped and done according to the correct formula. It's faith in the one that you're talking to. It's confidence that God loves me, that God has made possible this access through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that God is going to answer in the appropriate way at the appropriate time. And so I come with that confidence. I come with that faith. And faith is one of the things that God honors. Now, having talked about sin, having talked about faith, I I feel a need to offer a caution here. A caution. And that is every seemingly unanswered prayer is not a sign of sin or unbelief. Can it be connected to sin? Absolutely. Can it be connected to a a lack of faith? Absolutely. But not always. And, And here's where, you know, some of the stuff that's out there can get us in, in, in real trouble. And sometimes we beat ourselves up. We prayed and it doesn't seem like God's hurt. I, I must be this horrible sinner. I must not have enough faith. If I just had faith, I could name it and claim it or whatever it might be. Or sometimes we judge others. Well, you know, they've been praying. We've been praying for them in this. And I, nothing's happening here. I, Maybe you think there's something wrong with their life? You know, there must be some secret sin. I mean, I've gotten notes like that before about things. It's like, really, dude? Really? We talked about Billy Graham, his home going. The Christian community lost kind of another giant just a few months earlier. A man by the name of R.C. Sproul. He went home to be with the Lord. Now, I don't know, you may or may not know that name, probably more known by his writings and some of his teaching. Uh, but if you've never written, 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 read anything written by R.C. Sproul, well, let me encourage you at least to pick up one book, and that's The Holiness of God. Holiness of God. That's in, just an incredible book. I, I, I remember the first time I read that, I had it with me when I was traveling. I was in a in a hotel room, and I, I remember reading that one time, and uh, I was there alone, and I, I honestly, I, I just had to stop and get down on my knees. And, and just, just, I was just overwhelmed with, with that, that sense, uh, just a renewed, like, oh, of the holiness of God. But R.C. Sproul wrote on many things, including prayer. And in one of his writings on prayer, He talked about a young man that approached him. Let me just read to you some of his words. I was once approached by a young man stricken with cerebral palsy. His Christian faith was vibrant. His attitude was contagion with pleasant optimism. And his productivity exceptional. He had graduated from college with a superior record. His question to me was poignant. Dr. Sproul, do you think I am demon-possessed? The question was accompanied by tears. The man's life had been hurled into chaos. Aghast at this question, I replied, Why would you even ask such a question? The young man proceeded to relate a series of events triggered by an encounter with some Christian friends who had claimed the promises of Scripture and agreed together 
that the young man be healed of cerebral palsy. They had laid hands on him, praying the prayer of faith and claiming a better healing for him. When it was apparent that despite their prayers and claims of faith, that he was not healed, they first chastised him for his lack of faith, blaming his lack of healing on his evident lack of faith. Next, they claimed that he must have been guilty of some egregious secret sin that was blocking the healing. And if he would only repent, he would be healed. Finally, they concluded that he was demon-possessed and left him with a tortured soul. His friends never considered that the error might be their own. They had given the impression of being zealous, spirit-filled Christians. Their actions, at best, revealed immaturity. At worst, arrogance and presumption. Don't fall into the trap. Yes, sometimes God calls us to persevere because there's sin that He wants to surface or there's faith that He wants to grow. But just because God hasn't said yes doesn't mean it's because of sin or unbelief. Remember, sometimes a loving and just God says no. He says no. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If I'm wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, if the timing is right, and if I'm right, God says go. He says go. And the Scripture is filled with examples like that. Since we've been spending time in James, let's go to James one more time. He lifts up the biblical example of Elijah. And you might write in your margins there, 1 Kings 17 and 18, because it's kind of the the area that it's taken from. But James uh, lifts up the example of Elijah and his prayer that God used to to not bring rain for a season and then eventually to bring rain. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, just the same as you and I. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now, Elijah was praying. He was praying in faith, but he was praying not because he just woke up one day and thought, this would be a great idea. Let's not have it rain for three and a half years. No, he, he, he understood. God showed him what he was about to do. So he, he prayed in response to what God was doing, and that prayer of a righteous man is powerful. It is powerful in its effect. And I want you to know that prayer is powerful in its effect. And God will use it to grow you. God will use it to shape you. God will use it to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you can ask, think, or even begin to imagine. But it only comes as you and I persevere in prayer. And as we persevere in prayer, God has a way of getting us right, getting the request right, and getting the timing right so that He can say, go. But what in those moments when it's not yet go? What in those moments when we feel like we're just getting dumped on? 
What in those moments when we feel like it's not working, the best thing to do is to keep my little chirper shut? In those moments, we have to remember that God delights in answering the prayers of His children. He delights. And in the face of apparently unanswered prayer, we'll have one of two options. We can either desist or persist. We can either decide it's not helping, keeping my little chirper shut. Or I can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand everything you're doing yet. But I understand this. You are a good, good father. I understand this, that you have promised that one of the ways that you work in my life and through my life is through prayer. And God, that you have promised that you will use prayer. You'll use prayer in my life and through my life. And so, God, I'm going to keep showing up. I'm going to keep persisting in prayer because of what you do in me and what you do through me through prayer. There's a Norwegian author uh, by the name of uh, uh, Hollisby, Oli Hollisby. And he wrote last century about prayer in the early century. And one of his word pictures came from his native Norway. The area of Norway where he grew up in the earlier part of the 20th century had mining. They did a lot of mining. And he said it was very interesting to see the, some of the mining operation. Because in order to kind of get through the rock and stuff, to get where they wanted to be, they would use explosives. They, they didn't do that in a haphazard way, obviously. It was, it was studied. It was well thought out. They, they knew where the explosives were to go. And he said, what, what you would observe is that very often they would begin to bore into the rock. And the boring into the rock would be slow, and it would be tedious, and it would be difficult, and it would take so much time. They, they bored into the rock because they, they wanted to get it in the right depth, the right place, the right angle, right angle, and they, they would place that explosive in there. And then they'd light the fuse. Boom! Right? And rock flies everywhere. And they make huge progress. He said, you know, anybody can light the fuse. But where the real work is, is in that patient, thought-through continual boring through the rock. And he said, that's what persistent prayer is like. When I persist in prayer, I'm boring through the rock. I'm getting to the right depth, the right angle, just the right place, so that when God says go, boom, things begin to happen in an explosive way. See, many of us miss out on the boom. Because we think we just ought to be able to light the fuse. And we fail to dig. We fail to go deep. We fail to keep showing up and keep praying until God has us at just the right spot where he can answer in an explosive way. Jesus taught that parable so that we would not lose heart, so that we would continue to persevere in prayer. For some of you here, as we talk about 40 days of prayer, you you've maybe have frustrations, maybe you have doubts, maybe you, you're, you're 14 days into it if you've been doing the individual studies and you're thinking, nothing's happened. 
Some of you say, hey, it hasn't been 14 days. It's been 14 years. Keep boring. Keep digging. Keep drilling. Keep showing up. And watch what God will do. When you're right, the timing is right, and the request is right. Let's go before him in prayer, please. Oh, Father, how we thank you that you are a good, good father who delights in answering the prayers of his children. And Father, I, I would just ask today, Lord, would you encourage us? Would you remind us that you know what you're doing? You know what you're doing and when to do it. And, and Father, I pray for some of us in this room right here, right now, that we've been, we've been coming before you with some stuff. And honestly, Lord, maybe some of us have gotten a little weary of it. Maybe it kind of used to be near the top of our prayer list, but it's, it's somewhere in there now because it doesn't seem to have made a difference. But Father, you use prayer as your ordained method for not only accomplishing your will in the world, but working your will in us. So, Father, would you today infuse us with a new heart? Would you call us anew and afresh to persistent, persevering prayer? Would you find in us the kind of tenacity, audaciousness, and persistence that a widow displayed in the face of an unjust judge? Father, help us to <laughs> display at least that much in the presence of our loving Heavenly Father. As you just take these last few moments to sit before the Lord.